last week, you know, we're in this study in Colossians, and, and we're talking about the image of Christ being seen in us and all those kinds of things. But uh, today we're in chapter 3, but last week we were in chapter 2, and, and we were talking about the various ways that people uh, pursue a relationship with God, that, that we have this hunger to know God in, in better, greater ways. And, and the last part of chapter 2 talked about some ways that we pursue God that really don't lead us to God, but actually lead us kind of cockeyed away from God. And, and we get into some kind of weird places with that. And if you'll remember the flow of the conversation last week, that most of these attempts had to do with us seeking something outside of Christ to get to know God better. And, and it doesn't work. And we, we seek some kind of mystical experience uh, and in the example here in Colossians, we're, we're trying to connect with angels. Somehow, if I can connect to angels, I'll be closer to God. And we find out that, that that doesn't make any sense because through Jesus Christ, we have direct access to God. We don't need to go through anybody else or any other created thing. We have direct access to God. Uh, we talked about sometimes that, that we say, well, if I can just uh, push down my physical nature, my physical stuff, if I can... I can debase myself in some way, then I'll, I'll somehow get closer to God. But we forget that God made us body, soul, and spirit, that, that it's not about you know, pushing down the body so the spirit can go higher. It doesn't work that way. And then sometimes we talk about this idea, say, well, if I could just follow God or some set of rules, legalistically follow a set of rules that I would find myself acceptable before God and God would, would finally be willing to be around me and do that kind of thing. But we forget the fact that, that our relationship and our standing with God is simply by faith in God's amazing grace. That, that's it. We, we, there's not a, a set of rules that we've got to follow so somehow we can be acceptable to God. That's not to say, as I mentioned, that that God doesn't expect us to live well and as we'd honor him, but, but it's not following a legalistically a set of rules that's going to get us in a right standing with God. If we really want to know God, if we really want to know God, and we be a part of this transformation that's his bringing about in us, that we'll know him better and walk more closely to him, this is, today is the day, the beginning of chapter 3, because, because here it's telling us and reminding us that it's all about Christ, that it is in Christ that we find our identity, and that it's in Christ who uh, we find this transformation that takes place, that God is at work in us to bring new life, brand new life, not, not just kind of like, okay, yeah, I'm a new creature, but blah, 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 words life, but real life, real life difference that he has made us to be. God is in the business of transformation, and, and that's what he's going to be doing. He's going to be doing that right up until the day we see Jesus face to face. So, but how do you get there? How, how, do, you, how do you live out this new person that God has made us to be? And, and what we find is that if Corinthians, or Colossians chapter 3, uh, where the verses we're going to read today, verses 1 through 11, really talk about this thing. And there are three basic things that he tells us that we need to be thinking about if we are going to participate with God in this process of transformation and drawing near to God. And so if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, or it might be up on the screen, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11, and this is what it says in that text. So here we go. So it says, uh, Colossians 3, beginning verse 1, says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, 
then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. His word. You see, we, we, we get this idea that there are three basic things that we need to be thinking about. First one is this, is that you have to learn to set your heart and your mind. You have to learn this process of setting your heart and mind on things above, on things of Christ. First Corinthians, or Colossians, uh, excuse me, Colossians 3.1 says, since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. If you have your Bibles open or you can highlight it on your smartphones, you gotta just highlight that or underline that word set. It's an intentional mindset that allows us to cooperate with God so that he can grow us into the person he's made us to be. A lot of times we think about our faith and we think, well, I became a Christian now, so somehow God is gonna just make this all happen. And so we lay our heads down on our pillows at night and we say, okay, well, God, uh, wake me up mature. Wake me up changed. Wake me up. And, and, uh, and, and God certainly does amazing miracle work within us. But, but as a Christian, there is something he's telling us to do. We've got to set our minds in a certain way that we might cooperate with what God is doing. Now, now that means kind of a two-pronged attack he's talking about here. He's talking about our affections or our heart and he's talking about our thoughts that are involved together in our growth process. Our affections or our heart is what we really enjoy, what we really love to do. That, that shapes our passions. It shapes what we're passionate about. And our thoughts shape our priorities. Our thoughts shape our priorities. And they're both involved in this process. So, so you kind of get this. It's our affections, what you really love, added together with your thoughts, what you really think about most of the time, that equals action. I'm not much of a mathematician. I should have Greg up here. He can give me a whole equation for this. But, but it's, I guess it's pretty simple. It's what you love with what you really think about equals action, equals transformation, equals change, equals something that happens in you. That, and that's what God is interested in, what we think about, what our heart's passion is, about and, and ultimately what we do. So you ask yourself the question, what are you passionate about? What are the three things that occupy your mind most of the time? Just think about that for a minute. What are the three things that occupy your mind most of the time? Can you get it down to three? I've got several that absorb my thinking. I think a lot about my wife. That's pretty legitimate, I guess. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I think a lot about golfing. 
I think a lot about God. I think a lot about projects around my house. Not so much that it's really changing anything because they're still there, but what is it that you think a lot about? Because what happens is that that's where you tend to end up doing. I mean, when you, you get this, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a simple concept that you think, oh yeah, everybody knows that. But it's such a simple concept that everybody blows right by it. What you think about, what, what you are passionate about, what, what stirs your heart and what you think about, because that's usually, you know, what you're passionate about is what you think about. You put those two things together and it begins to transform how, what you do, Right? You're out there looking at me like, you either really get this and I should move on or I'm not saying it very well, but I don't know. But, but you kind of get that is. So, so, so that's kind of the process that we're in, that we need to, we, it's when he says, set your mind on these things. Sometimes you, you have to intentionally say, I've got to intentionally set my mind in another track, right? If you just keep thinking about the same old things you've been thinking about, Maybe those are okay things, but maybe they're things that are actually distracting you from your desire to grow closer to God, right? Okay, you'll, you'll get there. So, okay, so how do you do that? So Paul gives us some ideas about that. He says, set your mind so you can grow, and, and he says, set your mind on things above. He said that twice, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above. And, and, and let me just, I, I don't have time to go into a lot of details on all this stuff, but but I, I just got to tell you, what, what that means is to say, when I'm setting my heart and mind on things above, it's saying, I want to think about life in the way that God thinks about life. Okay? When, when you're intentionally saying that, you're saying, well, I'm just not going to think about, wow, God is a good God, wasn't that cool? No, but we're really saying, when you say that, is say, I, I want to begin to think like God thinks about stuff, Right? And, and, and not just about how I think about stuff, but how, how God thinks about self, stuff. And, 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 and what we find out in that process is that there's a different way of thinking about stuff, right? God's way of thinking on stuff and, and the way that the world, the earthly kind of way that people think about stuff is a little bit of different, right? You know, so it's asking, does the world think a little bit differently than God about sex? Does that wake anybody up here? No, we're all asleep. Does God think about uh, any differently than the world thinks about sex and sexuality? Yeah, does. does. Does the world think a little differently than God does about wealth and poverty? Yeah. Does the world think a little differently than God about possessions? Does the world think a little differently than God about eternity? And, and everything that you could possibly think about, you just say, huh, how does the world typically think about this? And how does God typically think about this? And, and when Paul is saying, if you want to go intimate and deeper with God, you've got to intentionally set your mind on the way God thinks about stuff, the way God thinks about the world, and say, hmm, you know, I could think about it this way, but I'm intentionally moving from thinking earthly thought, and I'm thinking, I'm going to ask myself the question, how does God think about this stuff or think about what I'm thinking about? Does that make sense? That, that, that's part of that first process. So, so you go through that whole process, say, okay, well, so now I'm going to intentionally set my mind towards, toward things above, 
and which means I'm going to intentionally set my mind towards the way God thinks about stuff. And he, then he says, set your mind on heavenly places where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, now there's something kind of interesting in that process because, because what we find there is, I, I just want to tell you, and I really don't have time to get into all this, but, but when you set your mind on the things that God, the, thinking about life the way God thinks about life and setting my mind on things above in that heavenly place where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, well, that means something. That means something to say, you know what? If, if I'm set that way, I'm, I'm in my mindset saying that God, God is in control. There is a subtle implication that we need to recognize to say that, that God is in control of all that goes on. God's in control of the good stuff that happens in my life. God's in control of the difficult stuff that happens in my life. God's in control of the stuff that breaks my heart. God understands that. And the second thing that it says to us, when, when we're placing ourselves in that position, in that I almost started to speak Spanish. And, and that lugar, <laughs> when we're placing ourselves there, it also means that God has the power to make a difference in my situation here. We are identifying with the authority of God in our lives. We've identified with the way he thinks, but when we're placing our minds up there, we're also saying, God, I'm identifying, I'm relying upon the power of God to make a difference in this place. Because, you know, what I see from my perspective and what's happening to my stuff, I, I got to just tell you, some of the stuff that's going on in my life, I just would rather not be going through. And, and maybe you're here today and, and you'd be saying, oh, God, you know, I'd, I'd really just as soon have gone down a different trail this week. I'd just as soon something else had happened. But can I just give you some confidence to say that God has a bigger picture? That it may not be what we want. I'm, I'm, I sit and cry my way through service. I'm a weepy mess this morning. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking about normal, and I, I'm just, I, I'm just, uh, you know, I'd rather go down a different trail. But this I know that God is still in charge of the trail, <laughs> that God's power is still at work. And when we're intentionally setting our minds on things above, not on earthly things, I'm identifying with the way God sees things. And the way I see things with my wife's health is not the way God sees things with, God's, with my wife's health. And he has power and control and authority over those things. And I'm going to set my mind on that stuff, not on earthly stuff. And, and if we want to be a part of this transformation stuff that God's doing, if we want to draw near to the heart of God, that's where it starts. It just starts with setting our minds, intentionally setting our minds on things above. Okay. Now, I'm going to preach a whole sermon on my first point, but let me just tell you, <coughs> I'm going to give you four really quick ways that you can do this. You've got to watch how you start each day, how you start and stop each day. How, how you go to bed at night influences how you get up in the morning. I, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you that, and, and many of you will know this. Guess what happens? If you go to bed worrying, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? How do you wake up? Worrying. Can, can I just say that, just experiment with this. Just experiment with the idea of going to bed and saying, 
God, I'm just going to thank you for all the good things that you're doing in my life. God, I'm going to praise you for, for who you are and what you mean to me. I'm, I'm going I'm to go to bed in, at night thinking about you and your goodness and your sufficiency and your ability to take care of my life no matter what happens and see how you wake up in the morning. I tell you what, I've gone to sleep having watched some, I love shoot 'em up bang bang movies. I don't know if you, I'm sorry, I'm your pastor and I confess it. I, I, I like shoot 'em up bang bangs. And, and, and sometimes I've gone to bed and I'm like, Ugh. and I get up in the morning and I can't figure out why I'm like, Ugh. don't go to bed like that. Don't do that. I got it, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm in the same boat, you know. Go to bed thinking about God. You know, read one of those missionary books I was talking to you about. Read scripture, do something, you know. Go to bed in a different way and, and it'll make a difference. Okay, the second thing is this, is pray throughout the day. And I know we're busy and I know life is like that, but I tell you what, if you'll just pray throughout the day, uh, you'll be in a far better place. When you come into a difficult, bad situation that you can't face or you don't want to have to face, you know, you don't have to have an hour prayer meeting in your office one day. You know, just stop and say, God, I affirm that you are in control of this. What do you want to do here? Help me to set my mind on things above. Help me, Lord, to, to just see how you see this stuff. I trust you. You have authority in this. I'm going to walk through this with you. And, and just those kind of prayers throughout the day, this constant, God, what are you doing here? God, what do you want to do here? God, how are you shaping this? God, what do you want to do in the midst of this? God, I'm trusting you. God, my heart is broken, and that's okay, too. How are we going to do this? Just keep that communication with God all through the day. Third thing is this. Make God's word part of every day. If, you know, I, I marvel sometimes that people say, I'd really like to know what God thinks about this. And so what do they do? They go down to the coffee shop and they start talking to people. What do you think about this? What do you think this? What do you think about this issue? What do you think? I got to tell you, folks, this is the book. This is the book. I can't say that enough. We've got Bible quizzes up here memorizing this stuff. Why are they memorizing this stuff? Because it's the book, right? It, it's, it's the source. You want to know about God? Read the book every day. Make sure that you're spending time reading God's word. Let it saturate you. Let it become part of who you are. Hide it in your heart. Fourth thing is this. Spend time with people who are going where you want to go. Yeah? You know, if, if you want to be, let's let me just, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm looking out here at the crows and I'm thinking, okay, <clears throat> Janet, uh, when you want to be a medical doctor, I'm sorry, you don't tell people that. I'm sorry. Okay, Janet's a doctor. <laughs> sorry, already out. My bad. <laughs> okay, Janet, when you were young and you wanted to be a medical doctor, who'd you hang out with? Medical people. You went down, you followed medical people. You shadowed medical people. You, you, you kind of see what they're doing. You kind of go that direction. You go hang out with people like you want to be like. And that's what we do when you come to worship. That's why worship is so important. People say, well, I don't have to go to church to worship. You know, you don't. But I tell you, there's something great that happens when we gather together as a body of believers and we're all on this trail together following God. We find encouragement in one another. Who else is going to encourage you? You know, you ought to set your mind on the things above. I don't know. You're not going to get that at the gym probably. Pump some more weight. Obviously, I don't go to the gym. So those of you that do, I apologize. Don't want to offend you. But, uh, 
You know, I'm, I'm just saying, there's something good that happens when we gather together and worship, when we go to Sunday school class. How many of you are going to Sunday school right after this? Okay, that's not enough of you. Okay? There's something good that happens when we gather together and, and we study God's word, we pray for one another, we encourage one another. We're on a journey together. You want to figure out how to set your heart and mind on things above? Well, these are four real basic ways to do that. Simple as simple can be, we ignore them all the time. Don't do that. All right, second thing. We need to learn to see ourselves as dead and alive. The most amazing paradox of all scripture. It's crazy. You know, in the Old West, you used to go out and you'd see the sign that said, wanted, dead or alive. You know what that meant? It's easier to bring them in over the back of a horse than it is to kind of drag them along and feed them through the wilderness. Just shoot them and bring them in. They don't care. Wanted, dead or alive. God says, wanted, dead, and alive. <laughs> That's a whole other way of thinking about spirituality. Intercede. And, and, and this, this, this passage is full of these paradoxical kinds of things. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4 says this. It says, you have died. Okay, get this. You have died and your life <laughs> is now hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in Christ. It, it's this really bizarre concept that, that we live in our faith, that we have died and yet we are alive all at the same time. And we kind of have to get that concept in our minds to say, in Christ, I have died, and yet at the same time, in Christ, I have been made alive as never before. Interesting, it says, in, in, uh, in verse 3, it says, for you died, right? You died. Interestingly enough, in verse 5, it says, put to death, therefore. Isn't that a weird concept? How do you kill something that's already dead? You had a fly swatter in your hand and you killed the fly, would you swat it again? That's a lousy example because I do that all the time. <clears throat> but, but you know, there's no point. It's just me taking my frustration out. You buzz around my head too many times. <laughs> Interesting paradox of we are dead and yet alive. We are dead, now put to death. There is kind of a funny kind of paradox going on with that stuff. And, and, and the reality is, is that, that we, we, uh, we're, we're dead, but some of our habits haven't heard about it yet. And, and we're in this lifetime of walking with Christ to kind of catch up with the two of those things. It, it is an odd paradox. One young guy, he got saved, came to Christ, and he said, I became a Christian six months ago but I wish God would inform my hormones. You know, it, 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 is, it, is this, it is this odd paradox of being dead and yet putting to death that Paul talks about. See, because sin is real, sin hasn't changed a bit, but you have changed. You're no longer alive to your old self. You are dead. You are dead in Christ and you are yet now alive and yet putting to death an odd combination of things. But it's the truth. 
It's just not me trying to be better. This is an important concept. It's, it's not another list where we say, well, if I, could just, if I could just get rid of my sexual immorality, if I could just get rid of my lust, if I could just get rid of my greed, if I could just get rid of those things that he mentions here in the, in the following verses after five, verse five, if I could just get rid of those things, then God would be happy with me. Can I just say that you are already dead to those things. You are already dead and a new person in Christ. Can I... You understand that? If you are in Christ, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You are a new creation in Christ. And he's going to help you with all the other stuff. And it's important that you get this because it starts out with faith that says, by faith, I am a new creature in Christ. By faith, I am dead and made alive in Christ. By faith, I am those things. That, that's where it starts out. And, and then you act upon that faith because you say, because I am dead, I now choose to act like this. I now choose to go with God's desires in my life to go like this. But too often we say, well, if I could just get a hold of these desires, if I could just get a hold of this stuff in my life, if I could just somehow you know, just work my way through all this, then, 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 I'll, then I'll have made it. And it's the wrong way of thinking about it because when you think like that, you're thinking that you're alive to those things. You're not alive to those things. You are dead to those things. By faith, we are new people in Christ. Well, you get the idea. Verse 5 and following, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, greed. Paul says to put them to death because he has something better for us. And, and you may be struggling with some of those areas. You may have trouble with your sexual relationships. You may have lust in your life. You may have greed in your life. You may have all those kinds of things. But, but I just got to tell you, God wants to help you with that. You are dead to those things. Even though they may still have a grip on you, you are dead to those things. Let me just tell you why. And, and the rest of them, by the way. I just kind of jumped over because we don't really have that much time. But, well, we're going to get to them in just a minute. I'll just wait. So why, why, why are these things important? And, and just two reasons why these are important, that these things need to be put to death. First one is this. It's because they hurt the heart of God. They hurt the heart of God. We've got to put them to death because they hurt the heart of God. You know, and sometimes we hear about God's wrath because, in fact, he goes on to tell us that because of these things, God's wrath is coming. And, and we think about God's wrath kind of in Old Testament terms like, you know, like an angry God, angry and coming down to jump all over us. Can I just tell you that God is not an angry God? He's not an angry God. But he is a God who takes sin personally. Does that, does that make sense? There, there is a difference between those things. You see, we, we go to a lot of extent, and, and, and we, I talk a lot about that here, and we'll continue to talk about that. We, we talk about how personal God's love is for us, right? 
we talk about God has our personal love for us. He cares for us. We care for him. It's this personal relationship. It's all this wonderful thing. We talk about God's amazing grace that covers a multitude of sins, and, 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 we, and we have this wonderful personal relationship with him because of God's grace that's so abundant and so free. And then we get to, the, to sin, and we say, oh, well, but God doesn't really care about that. But that's not true. You see, God takes sin just as personally as he takes love, and it's just as personally as he takes grace. He takes sin personally as well. And it breaks the heart of God when we continue to live in those kinds of patterns. Second thing is this, is because they no longer fit who we really are. That's not the person you are. You don't, you, don't want to, you don't need or want to live that way because that's not who you are. You are a new creature in Christ. You have set your mind on the things above. So put to death those things. God will help you. Okay, third thing. We've got to take off the old and put on the new. Take off the old and put on the new. You see... There's a whole other list of sins. The <coughs> first one had to do a lot with our activity, our outward behavior. second list he gives us is more kind of an emotional, relational kind of thing that he says to us. He says, uh, so, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. You've taken off your old self with its practice and you have put on the new self. And, and we have to get that mindset to say, okay, not only are we, are we uh, uh, putting our eyes on Christ, but we've got a new focus, we're looking above. Uh, we, are, we are dead and alive at the same time and putting to death those things that, that uh, separate us from those stuff. And, and we are putting on this new self. We're taking off the old and putting on the new. And, and we get into that process. So, but how do you do that? How do, how do you get there? And, and I just got to tell you, it's, it's kind of this little two-step kind of thing. It, it, is this, it is this process of taking off this old self that I was and putting on the new. Uh, Colossians 3.9 says, don't lie to each other since you have taken off the old with its practices and put on the new, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of the creator. And the truth is this, you've got to take off before you put on. If your kid comes home and they've been playing out in the mud, they've been having a grand old time, it's all good, and they come in the house and you say, well, you go change your clothes. Would you want your child to just put on clean clothes over top of the old muddy stuff? No. We've got to take off that old stuff. We've got to say, I'm not, I'm not wearing that stuff anymore. I'm not going in that direction anymore. I'm not going to be that kind of person anymore. I'm going to take that off and I'm going to put on this new stuff. That's the way you make that happen. Two little secrets. Uh, first one is kind of alluded to. Don't try to take off the old without putting on the new. That's the other part of this. Don't try to take off the old without putting on the new. Sometimes we get this idea that I'm just going to stop doing this and stop doing that and stop doing this, and we don't really put on the new. Get it? We just say, I'm going to not do all that stuff. I'm going to not do that. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to grit my teeth, and I'm going to not do that stuff. But the trick about the transformation of that is you've got to take off and then put on. You've got to fill up your mind 
Are, are you getting where? I'm going back to the beginning again. <laughs> You've got to fill up your mind and your heart's passions and those kinds of things with the things of God. Otherwise, you're just going to be drawn back into those same things again. You're going to grit hard and try hard not to go back there, and you're going to end up back there, right? But the answer to this, putting it off and putting on, taking off and putting on, is filling your heart and mind with something new. And that goes back to mindset above, power and authority of God, focus on that, passion, what we think about, translating into action. That, that's how that process works. And the second thing that he talks about, Paul talks about here, in, in that process of doing this, is that we got to remember that we are more, you are more than you used to be. Does that make sense? Paul puts this really unusual verse. He, he actually uses this idea in, in multiple places in Scripture, in his writings. But he sticks it in right here, and it seems like it makes no sense, and then it makes all kinds of sense. Verse 11 says, For here there is no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. It, it, it is this kind of, where does that come from? Where, where does this come from, and why is it here? And I think what Paul is trying to say that in this process of being new creatures in Christ, your background doesn't matter. Your background doesn't matter. Uh, sometimes we say, well, because of the way I was brought up, because of my nationality, uh, because of whatever, that's why I am the way I am. Have you ever heard somebody say things like this? I've got red hair and I've got a temper, so what of it? Or somebody say, I'm Latin and I was made for love. I hear that a lot in my family. No, I'm sorry, that came out bad, but. And somebody say, well, I'm blunt. My whole family's blunt. That's just the way we are. It, just deal with it. Paul is saying your background changed the minute you came to know Christ. There is no longer slave nor free. There's no barbarian or Scythian. Scythians are the absolute worst of the barbarians in that day. There's no Greeks or Jews. They're just one family in Christ. Christ is all and in all. It's all about Christ, that, that we have a new identity. We have a new family. We have a new heritage that we have been given. And St. Augustine said this. He said, Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Isn't that a great quote? Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. And that's, I think what Paul is trying to say here is that, that your identity in Christ, the fact that you have died and been made alive in Christ, is of greater importance and value than anything else that you have been. You see, God is in the transformation business. And too often we want to say, well, I could never do that, or I could never be like that, or, or we give ourselves a pass because we say, well, that's just the way I was raised. Or sometimes we give other people a pass, which is a 
nice form of grace sometimes. Uh, well, that's just the way they were, so we just live with it. And, and, and we kind of, we give up on this idea that God can actually transform who we are. That God can actually make us into different kinds of people. Do you believe that? Do you need that? I need that. Katie was leading us in a song that you, you may not know too much. We don't sing it too much in this service, but, but it's this great sin or a great song, and it talks about this idea of why should I gain from Christ's reward? Why should I gain from his suffering and all that stuff? And, and we realize we sing that. It's that whole transition that Christ went to the cross for us and that I, I, and by the way, you were those in the crowd that just mocked his name by our very lifestyle. We weren't there 2,000 years ago, but by our very lifestyle, by everything we were, we mocked his name. And yet he went to the cross for us. We go through that whole process and we say, but why would you do that for such a wretch as I? Why would you die for someone like me? And then the song goes on to say that I identify myself with him. In him, my life has been made new and different. You're no longer that person you used to be. Oh, you may act like it once in a while, but you are no longer that person. We are in this process with Christ where we are setting our minds on the things above We are living within his authority and control and power within our lives. We have identified ourselves as people who are dead to that old stuff and yet made alive in him. And we intentionally say, you know what? I'm putting that old stuff behind me and I'm going to go forward in this new process of setting my mind on Christ. It's that cycle that rolls over and over and over again in our journeys with God. Every week, every day, every moment, we are faced with choices about how we are going to live and what we are going to be. And Paul says, just remember, you are new in Christ. He is all. He is our all. And he is in all. And you are in him. He is making us new and different. Through the easy stuff and through the tough stuff. Yes? Would you pray with me? Father, into your hands do we give all that we are. Lord, we want you above all else. We want to know you. We want to follow you. We want to be like you. Lord, in this day, we come. We come with plates full of stuff. Heartache, sorrow, joy. Hope, sadness. It's just life. But in you we have found newness. 
And so we fix our eyes on things above. We say, God, I want to see my life like you see it. I want to see my world like you see it. I'm going to trust in your power, your authority, your control. I live no longer for myself, but I live for Christ, who is my all. For I have taken off the old coat. I'm putting on the new coat. God, in this place, in this moment, with this people, speak to us at the point of our need. Help us, Lord, to just say, here it is, God. Help me to see you in the midst of this situation. For I am not my own. Have your way done in us, and in Jesus.